Well, National Signing Day is finally here for round two, and it feels like for Oregon, it's Nicholas Harbor or probably not a whole lot else. Or is it? Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Please continue to like, comment, subscribe, five-star rating on Apple Podcasts as well, wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. We can't have national signing day signing day come and go without my man john garcia jr our locked on recruiting insider here at the network john the big number two day is finally here it's not as dramatic as it used to be but that there, there's one big fish out there that that oregon wants and and we all know who it is it's it's nicholas harbor is it a situation right now for the Ducks where it's it's Nicholas Harbor or probably no other commits come down today? I don't know if it's that black and white. I do think, you know, Roderick Pleasant is, is out there. There's certainly some USC buzz with him to maybe stay close to home. But look, Oregon has uh, put in great effort uh, for that secondary prospect out of SoCal as well. Um, so I think, yeah, the, the headlines, the attention, the focus – will gravitate towards Harbor when he comes off the board, but there still could be a splash or two left in the chamber there for Dan Landing and company. But look, there's a reason why, even if it is Harbor or bust, this is worth it. I mean, this is a freakish athlete. I mean, it's, it's, we talk so much about him that we just dig dig into his recruitment, but the reason why it's so hectic is because look, he's six, five, two He can play tight end or defensive end. He'll run track for you. Um, and he wants to be a surgeon. This is an ambitious, freakish, uh, just rare prospect in almost every sense of the word. And there's another sense that wherever he goes, and regardless of what position he plays, he'll develop into one of those household names in the sport. Uh, and that's just not something that comes across your desk every day. So for Oregon to get the last visit in this recruitment it feels especially big, uh, especially because track is so, so very important. Like it can't be emphasized enough. And we all know what Oregon offers from a track and field standpoint. And let me just say, seeing those track and field recruiting photos that Harbor oh, put yeah. out for Oregon. Oh, man. We, we see a lot of recruiting photos in, in, in this day and age. And even two sports stuff, right? We've seen football, basketball, football, baseball, even some other football track. This was the best I've seen. This was the cleanest. This was as dead ringer. Hey, this kid just runs for track for Oregon. I That's what I thought it was when I first saw it. Uh, but no, it's Nicholas Harbor beefing up his uh, future NIL deals. Uh, it, it's unbelievable what, what presentation Oregon gave this kid. And that's why there's a sense going into signing day that this thing is pretty darn close no matter how you slice it. Yeah, I I was blown away. Whoever took those pictures, whoever you are, you done good because man, those those looked spectacular. And John, have you watched his track highlights? I, I mean, th- they are 
they are so, if you haven't, trust me, it's worth two minutes of your time because it's, it's comical how much faster he is than everybody else. Anytime someone's going to go play power five football and run track, you figure, oh, they're going to be faster than the kids are running. I, I don't know that I've ever seen, it was like secretariat out there. <laughs> I mean, it was just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's absurd the the distance that he is creating, which is why track is so important to him because he's very, very good at it, and it's part of what makes him such an enticing football prospect. Now, Oregon appears to be in a competitive place for Harbor going into uh, at today, National Signing Day. Some of you may be listening uh, afterwards, and we'll view this in retrospect and whatnot, but. I, I personally, John, am feeling good, but not supremely confident, like, oh, I think we're going to get him. But Oregon's got a very real chance here, right? 100%. In the last 24 hours, independent of each other, I've had a source near Eugene say, hey, there's a lot of confidence with the Ducks after that visit. Hey, everything was in line. Every box was checked on this visit, and, and the family is sky high on the Ducks. And then I also got a text from the East Coast uh, in Columbia, South Carolina, saying Shane Beamer and that staff's confidence hasn't wavered like at any point. Um, so depending on how you view those two statements and sources, you could really view this as, as a coin flip. I mean, it could be that close. Another an independent source said Nick doesn't know. He's not decided as of Tuesday morning. So obviously you, you want to sit down and really figure it out going into Wednesday, um, especially when you are putting out a, a national video. Um, you know, Champ Sports is, is like partnering with him for the video reveal or the commitment. So when you put all of the, those eggs out there, you, you've got to come forward with a decision. So there is a sense that it's that close that there's still some T's to cross and I's to dot with making that final selection. And then we also hear, hey, Miami's still trying to get in the conversation. Michigan still wants in and, and is beating down the door. And then Maryland's the in-state school, right? Mike Loxley's pulled off some stunners in his day. Could this be the ultimate one? You know, but I do think outside of Oregon and South Carolina, it would be a pretty big shocker to see Harbor pick up and, and and sign with one of those other programs, uh, particularly Miami, because he hasn't visited. So um, stranger things have happened in recruiting, but I do think this is a, a South Carolina-Oregon battle, probably in that order, but it is very, very thin. And the only reason that I give South Carolina a bigger edge is the longevity. More visits, more continuity with that coaching staff in particular, um, with some of the same advantages that makes Oregon so appealing late in the game. So all things even, you kind of go with the longer uh, reputation, the longer relationship. And I think that's where South Carolina's got a bit of an edge, but this thing is is not decided, I would venture to say, as we record this. And that is always good news for the team trying to close distance, close the gap on that perceived leader. And, of course, in, in that scenario, uh, Oregon is that school. Oregon has been after Harbor for a while. Pleasant seems to be trending towards USC. Deuce Robinson outside chance. If Harbor doesn't commit to Oregon, do you think that Oregon will just be empty on National Signing Day, which would not be that abnormal in today's college football world? Or do you think there's a rabbit out of the hat that Dan Lanning and his staff could pull? Have you heard anything on that front? Those are the three names I'm tracking relative to Oregon. But let's remember, this is a huge class. I want to say... 
the biggest high school recruiting class in the Pac-12, much larger than USC's at 28 uh, commitments and or signees to this point. So there's not a lot of space left because uh, then you've got the portal guys on top of that. So, yeah, I think it's just those three, probably in that order, right? The order of, of likelihood, I'd go Harbor Pleasant and Deuce Robinson. But, of course, Deuce Robinson is his own layered recruitment with baseball as that secondary sport and a timeline that appears less concrete compared to Harbor and Pleasant, which have already confirmed that they're coming off the board on Wednesday afternoon, East Coast time. Robinson has been quiet in his on his end. Sources in the industry are saying that it would be it would not be a surprise if he delays. And a delay would be good for Oregon because um, Deuce has, has taken these late visits to USC, uh, to Texas and Georgia. And, and Georgia, USC are kind of the two jockeying for a position for Robinson as we speak. So if he were to come off the board February 1st, he ends up at one of those two. If he delays, maybe a trip to Oregon could materialize. It's something he mentioned uh, during the Under Armour All-America game week as something he would want to do or try to do, but he had a lot of obligations in the month of January, not only ramping up some baseball stuff, but the Under Armour week and then the Polynesian Bowl week uh, later in the month of January. So not a lot of time for Deuce to hit the visit trail, but if he pushes things back and takes his time, a la Josh Connerly, He's going to be able to most likely take that trip to Oregon and let the chips fall where they may. Because even between Georgia and USC, it's it's kind of unsettled at this point. So there's a real sense of uncertainty with Robinson, just like there is with Harbor. And that's just rare for any signing day, much less the February one, where we always think there's there's a lack of drama. I think this time around, we're, we're going to get some fireworks and some, some kids making decisions that uh, few people expect, as opposed to a matter of, of when and not if. Prospect X is going to pick school X, uh, which is sometimes what we get on signing day. So it sounds like Oregon wants someone to be a metaphorical umpire at the little league level with the hand up for the pitcher on Deuce Robinson's commitment. Hold oh, up, yeah. hold up, hold up. Just, just, just hold, yep. hold, hold right there. Now, in my experience, umpiring kids tend to just kind of blow through that and throw the pitch anyway, and then you have to wave it off, and it's a whole ordeal. So hopefully, the uh, recruiting equivalent of that doesn't come to pass. But th- there's one recruit that Oregon's got in this class that, frankly. We haven't talked about enough yet on the show, and we need to evaluate, but we need to talk about our friends at FanDuel. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel so you can bet Super Bowl 57 between the Chiefs and the Eagles with a no-sweat first bet. I would take the Chiefs just personally. Hard to bet against Mahomes. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. They've got everything that you need. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, John, Oregon's quarterback in, in this 2023 class is not the guy that Frankly, a month and a half ago, we thought it was going to be in, in Austin Novosad. Dante Moore flips to UCLA. Oregon fans by now familiar with, with that whole debacle. But you, you end up with Novosad, which is, you know, from what we've seen and what we know, certainly a step down, at least in the near distant future. But 
let's evaluate Austin Novosad here, which is a question that came in. My thanks to Joseph Zimmerman for asking, because this just kind of slipped my mind as time went on. I think it was just a subconscious slight disappointment. Not that Novosad can't be good, but I wanted Dante Moore. Everybody wanted Dante Moore, because why wouldn't you? But uh, Joseph Zimmerman asks... What do you make of Austin Novosad? I'm still pretty butthurt about Dante Moore. I feel you there. And I don't know what to make of him. Sort of reminds me of Jared Goff. Do you think our staff is capable of developing him into the next guy? Let, let's start with your your thoughts on on someone who you've covered on the recruiting show for a long time, John. What, what do you see from Novosad coming out of high school? I think he's a great combination of floor and ceiling. And I think when you talk about ideal recruiting uh, measures you want some kind of combination of that so if it's the floor we look at what we know best right he's a quarterback so you got to go to the, the winning and the numbers right uh over the last two seasons 22 and 3 as a starter at dripping springs high school in the austin suburbs that is not a power in the state of texas but austin Novosad's presence lifted them to those heights um then from a touchdown to interception ratio perspective, 79 to 14 over those last two seasons. So the production, the efficiency, the winning, the decision-making, all tangibly there for Austin. Uh, and then you look at him in person. We've got to see him in person three times, two Elite 11 regionals, and then, of course, the finals out in Los Angeles last summer. And you love the frame. And this is where the ceiling comes into it, right? Probably 6'2"-ish but very slender, probably 185, 190 pounds or so. So you know he's going to put on weight. And then when you think about his game, you get excited about the ceiling a little bit more because he's known as a decision maker and an efficient player who is accurate and very on time in the short to intermediate game, particularly that intermediate game. And then you watch him play, the trigger is quick. The mechanics, the motion, everything comes out very quick. So as he puts on that weight, theoretically enhancing his strengths, now that will become more of an advantage for him uh, in the margins. And you think of that combined with a modern offense that Will Stein will update for the Ducks here going forward, and there's a natural fit there. And, of course, the two have a relationship dating back several years uh, when Stein was at UTSA and became one of the first offers in uh, to Austin Novosad. So I, did, I think the fit is important in the evaluation because – that's the system, right? I think at quarterback especially, you've got to look at the tangible and project, and then you got to look at the system they're going into. You know, if, if he was going to uh, a Notre Dame or if he was going to a, a pro-style kind of run-first system, I wouldn't project him as highly as I think I would if he's going to play for the Oregon Ducks because they're going to put more on his shoulders, more on his plate. And if his strengths tangibly now – are winning and decision-making and accuracy and being on time, now all of a sudden, to me, you have a higher ceiling in playing for, for Oregon versus some other places. So I do like the fit. Uh, I do think uh, he's got some time to get better and bigger, uh, most most uh, most obviously. But there's also some, some in-the-margin stuff I really like about Austin. Uh, just talking to him, sharp on time, very deliberate kid. There's not a lot of missteps even in his words. And that's a great sign of, of leadership early on in addition to all the winning and, and then elevating a program in high school that is not necessarily known for all of that. And then there's this confidence here. I think 
when you talk about the ideal quarterback that you're going to shoulder responsibility towards, confidence has to be such a big part of it. And there's a quiet confidence with Austin. Same thing with Dante Moore. It wasn't very vocal and rah-rah in talking to those two in particular, but you sense that it's there. So I, I do get the sense that over time, as he assimilates into a system that is very similar to the one he just wrapped up at Dripping Springs, by the way, I do think the confidence will combine really well with the things that already work well for Novosad. The motion, the trigger, the anticipation, the decision-making, and that short to intermediate prowess will allow plays to sort of unravel in chunks, in my opinion. And now he's going to have time. He's going to be able to sit behind Bo Nix and develop in, in this sort of ever-changing quarterback world um, for a year as everybody learns this, this new system together. So I think this is a nice fit for the Ducks. Yes, it's not the high floor of a Dante Moore, but ceiling-wise, there's, I think, more room for Novosad to grow compared to Dante Moore. So depending on how you look at this thing, um, it's a really nice – you don't want to say – compensation or or, con or consolation prize but it's a very nice pivot from losing out on the number one quarterback in the country it, you could have done a lot worse if you're the Oregon Ducks and and I think the best way to look at it is look at the school you pulled them from look at Baylor he in the Baylor market was being viewed as the galvanizer the guy who's going to get that program back on track offensively like they were a couple of years ago when they won the Big 12 that is the perception that he walked away from to to be the theoretical replacement for a Dante Moore. I I think that's great. That creates a chip on the shoulder. The motivation, all those other elements will will, will be built in uh, for Austin the moment he arrives. Or I guess he's already uh, up there in Eugene. So I really like this get. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks. Top ten for us uh, when we did the SI ninety nine rankings, both pre and post season. Uh, so I'm I'm a bigger fan of him than most. If uh, my words hadn't uh, supported that already. <laughs> I, I think they, they pretty pretty clearly did, which, which is great to hear. And I love the fact that, that he gets to sit for a, at least a year. I mean, and we'll see what happens. He does remind me a little bit of Jay Butterfield, who transferred to, to San Jose State after he wasn't able to climb his way up the depth chart. I, I think depending on what the Ducks were to do in the transfer portal after the 2023 season of the quarterback position would determine whether or not he's able to be the number two guy or compete for the number one slot going into 2024. It's a fascinating question for the Ducks. We're, we're certainly happy, though, to, to have Bo Nix back. But when you say things like he needs to add a little bit of weight, that's what a de facto redshirt. I mean, I mean, he probably ends up redshirting this year, I would imagine, because you can play in four games, correct? So if there were four games on Oregon's schedule where it was such a blowout that the third stringer was in, but frankly, those snaps should be going to Ty Thompson anyway, I, I think he's in a perf pretty perfect place to learn an offense where he'll probably have the same coordinator back in 2024. Will Stein is certainly an up-and-comer in, in the coaching industry. I'd be pretty surprised because he doesn't have a, a direct draw to a power five the way that Kenny Dillingham did if he was a one and done as the OC. And if Oregon doesn't lose Dillingham, Dante Moore, we agree, never leaves the Ducks yeah. to flip to UCLA. But if we don't hire Will Stein, it's a good chance that Novasad is not coming in either because of that, that Texas tie. So I, I think it's a fascinating case study for Stein as in OC, not just to see what sort of offense he's going to put together and how that may translate for Novoset or Ty Thompson, frankly, but also that's kind of his first major recruit that that 
that, that we're able to see that, that yeah. he kind of has his fit. I, right. I like this because Austin Novosad was committed to Baylor for a year. A lot of teams tried to poach him. Notre Dame, Ohio State, Texas A&M all got him on campus for official visits and struck out. He doubled down on Baylor after seeing those those schools and, and giving them a fair shot. So I think it also tells you a lot about Novosad's belief in Stein going into this thing and obviously the, the rapport that they have built over the years for him to walk away from Baylor. It was a big, big deal internally. Baylor's a good program. His camp. Um, but, but a lot of big time programs wanted in on Nova Sod late. Uh, he had to say no to, to Notre Dame. And look, his, both of his parents, I believe are A&M alum, you know, so he had to say no to that program uh, on top of it. So again, it took a lot for him to walk away from that longtime commitment as that foundational piece. And he did so for Oregon and he did so for Will Stein. And I think that says a lot. Yeah, great question, Joseph. Keep them coming as always. I've got one more question to ask, John, that feels, you know, kind of odd, kind of strange, may not matter at the end, but I'm just curious. And so I shall pick John's brain after I tell you all about Built Bars, which are a delicious a delicious treat, but without all the fat and calories, Built Bars are the way to go if you're looking for something like that. What makes them so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievably tasty flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, mint brownie, my personal favorite, and so many more. Now you don't need to wait around to get a box for years. We've been talking about ordering your bars at built.com. Now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club as well. Sam's Club, Walmart, built.com. Go get your next order of built bars and fill up with some healthy, tasty treats. All right. I was perusing Oregon's recruiting class on 24-7 the other day, John, and I noticed something distinct that Mateo Uyunglele has fallen in the overall player rankings from number the number 17 player in the class to the number 47 player in the class. And he went from a five-star recruit to now he's a very, very high four-star recruit. Two questions for you here. Number one, how does that happen or why does that happen? And number two, is it anything that Oregon fans should be concerned about as it pertains to his potential production in college? Yeah, I'll start with the second question. No. <laughs> That answer is no. We we could move on from that. But look, it good. It does happen. You know, these slides do happen. Um, look, when you when you are tasked with ranking every single elite player in the country, there's going to be movement, and different things create that movement. And it's not always tied to the person who is falling. Oftentimes, it's tied to the person who is rising above said player. It might not even be another player at Mateo's position that broke out and kind of forced his hand uh, up the list as, as a junior or as a senior. Uh, so in this case, I think it's probably a combination of both from Mateo's perspective. Look, he elected not to play in the all American bowl, which is the bowl that 24 seven sports is most uh, associated with. They have a stake in, in those selections. And, and obviously they send a lot of resources down to Texas to, evaluate every element of the bowl um so not participating there i do think um it doesn't hurt you but it prevents you from moving up to a certain degree because now other folks are getting more updated evaluations of everybody else relative to you and when you are somewhat polarizing already at the foundation as hey are you a tight end are you a defensive end are you an interior 
defensive lineman down the line. And those question marks might still be out there. It's really easy to just slide somebody uh, right above in that final analysis. Not saying that's exactly how it went down, but there's always multiple factors in those scenarios. But look, from everything we gathered, Mateo played great as a senior for St. John Bosco. All they did was win the mythical national championship among high school um, football teams nationally, um, led by their defense, you know, which is really his, his calling card. Although I will say there were some offensive flashes for him over these last two seasons. Go watch the back shoulder toe tap touchdown catch against Allen High School, I believe, to open the season uh, in August of 22. Go watch that play and, and tell me this isn't one of the top 25 athletes in the country. Um, there, there was a lot of folks uh, ringing the inbox about this slide. So, yeah, I don't think it's anything to read too much into. Uh, he's still one of the most intriguing two-way players, and there's a sense that his best ball is still well ahead because he's never been able to focus on that one position or even side of the football up until this point. So I do think that there's there's a lot to like about Mateo's game now, but even more so going into the future, almost independent of how his body and his technique all kind of progress and crescendo together. But this is a well-coached kid, big physical standout, who's just hard to deal with one-on-one. -on -one. And if you have those traits, uh, you're going to be able to make an impact sooner rather than later, even if you're a little bit on the raw side compared to guys who have been playing pass rusher for you know five or six years at this point. Well, much like a, a present under the Christmas tree, I think that's a nice, fine, clean bow to put on today's show, dropping here on National Signing Day with my man John Garcia Jr., the Locked On Recruiting Insider here at the network. John, appreciate it as always. And uh, on, on that final note, we, we thank you for putting whatever fears may have been out there to rest. Anytime, boss. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Talk to you tomorrow. And go Ducks.